1: Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor.
2: And I'm Michelle Scharf. Welcome back. I have, uh, this is a second episode in a two-part series with Chris Kahn, and we're joined today with his wife, Jeanette, and... Um, Episode one, we highlighted the story of Austin, their child that they lost through pediatric cancer, one of which I won't try to describe. I can't say that name, but I'll let Chris give you a refresher on that. Welcome back to the show and welcome, Jeanette. I'm so glad that you came on to join us.
0: Hi, thank you.
2: Chris, tell us a little refresher about Austin and just to kind of Give a highlight for the audience that's just joining us on this episode.
3: Yeah. So as we talked in like the first episode of this, Austin, you know, is 15 years old and at age in 2018, he passed away from DIPG, which you refuse to try to pronounce. You have to just Google search it, right? <laughs> so basically what it means is his cancer developed within his brainstem pons and grew outward. So thus, you can never go into your your brainstem and split it open and take the cancer out. So unfortunately, after 14 months of ups and downs, of thinking we beat it, and then only to succumb to it, uh, that whole journey of that process, unfortunately, Austin passed away. But in that, there was all these beautiful stories that came about that myself, Jeanette, our older daughter, Kayla, she sent me something that I'd love to share here, too, about what she learned from her brother, because it wasn't just her brother, it was her best friend. Yeah, uh, They're only like two years apart, so they've done a lot. I know we've moved everywhere, so they had to rely on each other a lot. And so we try to focus on what we learned from Austin. Watching your your teenage son learn and fight to walk again, to gain motor function, is something that is inspiring to say the least but then what do you do with that inspiration like yeah it's great we all watch feel good movies we all hear great motivational speakers but then what do you do with it yeah right because it's just a fleeting moment of inspiration if you don't do anything so how do you make it some type of personal like revelation to yourself like how does it become a part of you yeah and that's what we wanted the second part to be is like how do we grow from this how do we become a better person from this not going to be the same person anymore right um so now it's like redefining how we are who we are our relationship and how we don't damage each other cuz we've learned in the past that like tragedies like this can destroy marriages
1: absolutely and they often do there was yeah often do you
3: didn't sleep in the same bed I would stay during the week and Jeanette would come on the weekend to sleep by the side of Austin. So we would sleep in the hospital fold out bed <laughs> together, just so we would sleep together once a week. Wow. And that that was our life. And these are all the things that people just don't know that goes on with a child that's going through cancer. You don't see that stuff. You don't see a lot of that. Yeah. So
2: absolutely. Do you
3: want to share that story that Kayla Yeah, I'll do that now. All right. And So just for everybody, Kayla's our 22-year-old daughter, who's a cast member down at Disney World. If you go down there, you may meet her once or twice. But she uh, couldn't get here. She wanted to dial on. She even offered up some of her shifts, and nobody picked it up. But she still sent me a text this morning. So I just wanted to read it to you. Uh, It says, the most important thing I've learned during my healing process is that healing is not linear. All too often, we place expectations and timelines on ourselves to move on. When that is entirely unrealistic. Everyone's healing journey and grieving process is going to look very different. And expecting ourselves to just move on is simply unreasonable. Because you never will move on, but you will move forward. As you move forward, your relationship with your loved one who who has passed will continue just in a different capacity. I have both good days and bad days, even now, but every day I continue to see my brother Austin's influence on my life. And that is something I will forever be grateful for. Throughout the time he was sick, it was extremely rare to hear Austin complain. Despite every day being an uphill battle, he always focused on the positive and continued to show up for me, both as a brother and as a best friend. His unwavering support and kindness to others during something so difficult inspires me every day to be more resilient. He led my example and taught me to show up and support those I care about regardless of my own circumstances.
2: Wow, so beautiful. That really highlights all the things we just talked about in the first episode,
1: right?
3: Well, it's like we lived in the same house.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was just thinking, wow, that's a lot of insight and wisdom from someone so young. But I guess that makes sense if she went through so much even younger. I mean, twenty-two. Most twenty-two years are still trying to figure out what in the world. She was they what seventeen do. when he passed away. Yeah, that's a really pivotal time of life when you're kind of discovering who you are, leaving high school, going to next steps, and to have that kind of trauma and tragedy and personal loss. You can hear that in her words, but talk about inspiring! Yeah, I I want to meet that girl and just give her a big hug. Like I know. that's that's every psychology book and talk on grief and all the good pieces in one short little letter from her. That's that's incredible.
3: But that's five years later. Yeah, yeah, that's five yeah. years later.
1: <laughs>
2: right, right, yeah. it, it, and it's a lot of growth. Right, it, it, I'm sure that there's been a lot of ups and downs in that, and just like she said, it's not linear. It's not, it's not linear.
1: And it's not the same. Like you said, you're from the same household, but I think maybe that's where we'll go today with this episode. You can be in the same household, attend the same funeral and have lost the same person and your grief journey is still your unique grief journey. Yeah, absolutely. It
0: took me a while to kind of figure that out. I feel like it was like nine months almost after Austin passed away and Kayla came back home and she's showing me all her videos that her and Austin would make on Snapchat And it was like, oh, my goodness, like she knew a different Austin than I knew. You know, you forget as a parent that when your kids leave your house and go to school, they're like with those peers and teachers probably more than they are in your own house. And like they had classes together, even though she was a senior and he was a freshman. She convinced him to do choir and he ended up loving it. But I think that's when I realized, you know, Her relationship with Austin was different than mine. And her grief, you know, with that relationship was different. And she had a very special, you know, relationship with him. And she did. She knew a different Austin than I did. And it almost, you know, made me a little jealous. I'm like, can you send those? I will never get mad at you guys for making little videos anymore. I promise. But I can't send them to me because it's just fun to see how he interacted with his friends and with his sister.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's so, so cool. So we were talking on the phone when we did our pre-interview and Jeanette came home and you put us on speaker and, (laughs) and she didn't really want to. She's like, no, no, Chris does the talking. I'm okay about him talking about these things. And I was like, no, no, I really feel like just think about it. And then you decided that you'd come on. I really appreciate you coming on and being willing to share. I know for me, it's been healing to share part of my grief through this podcast and, and in my relationships. But I felt like what you shared with me on the phone was really, I think that it's important to hear, especially because loss of a child does often end up resulting in broken homes and, and, what I find interesting about the story, going back to our first episode, when when Chris opened up and, and started speaking to us, I felt it was really profound when he shared that when he met you, that talking about his needs and wants in a relationship were really key and that you were on that same page with him. And that has been something that you guys have carried through in this relationship. And I think it's actually one of the most important parts of a relationship, being able to ask for our wants and needs. We can't be mind readers, right? And we can't also meet those needs all the time, but if we know what they are, we can say, I'm unable to do that, or this isn't the way that I can meet that need. It may not be all of it, right? But it's that communication and the ability to say, I want to meet that need. And, and this is the way that I am capable of doing that or not, right?
0: Right. I think that was one thing. It was kind of a lesson learned. So, you know, a few years before, you know, we did this journey with Austin, we were stationed and living in Korea and we had a stillbirth. And I think a lot of other things came into play, probably postpartum depression, definitely but I could see how we were kind of grieving and dealing with it separately and not including in each other and not communicating and how it nearly, I feel like it could have really torn us apart. And so when we kind of went through this diagnosis with Austin and especially towards the end before he even passed away, we kind of made a commitment that we need to, you know, make sure that we communicate and we're very different personalities <laughs> Chris, with, you know, with the grieving process, he, he gets angry and he gets mad and he gets upset. And I had to be like, not taking that personally. And it's not directed at me and it's okay. That's his outlet. And it is nothing against me. And he just has to communicate that he's just mad that he, and he's missing Austin. And that's just how he's dealing with it. Me, I tend to be a little bit more introspective. I kind of like shut down in a way. But, you know, I'm like, I think about it internally and I don't want to, you know, talk about it a lot of times, sometimes as I'm like initially feeling it. And so I just had to tell Chris, I said, this is, I'm not mad at you. I'm not, you know, trying to distance myself from you. I'm just feeling really sad and I just need a moment to myself. And so I think it's just really realizing that my way of grieving is good for me and it's okay and him recognizing and letting me do that and the way he grieved is what's good for him. And that's okay. And as long as we understand and are communicating that our relationship, we're good. This is just how at the moment we're just trying to deal and process with the grief that we're feeling right now. I think that's one thing we still always try to have to remind ourselves because, you know, as time gets goes by, it's still, you know, it still creeps in sometimes. And We don't necessarily recognize that oh i'm having a moment because i'm missing austin because it doesn't come as often we're in the beginning yes of course you know you can naturally assume that and so i just have to make sure that i just tell him i'm not mad at you i'm just having a hard time and feeling sad and missing austin and then it's like okay i got it and we allow each other to do that and then then we're good and we can move on. I call but, that holding space.
2: That's how yeah. I refer to it. Like, right. It's like you know, hold space for that person. It's like, this isn't about you. It's yeah. okay. I'm going to hold space for you and, right. and allow you whatever you need and not make this about us. Right. We don't need to make it about something that it's not. I love right.
0: that. Yeah. And I think sometimes it was like, you know, if I'm sad and depressed, we learned this with you know, in Korea, Like, I wouldn't want to talk to Chris about it because I didn't want to get him sad and depressed. And so I think sometimes in our minds, that's what we're thinking. Then we realize we're really isolating ourselves even more and more. And so it's a lesson. Actually, I learned from Austin. He would, you know, go to chemo on Fridays. And then Saturday was his day to just, like, be by himself and away from everybody and be sick and just kind of deal with it and just be okay with letting it kind of just not wanting to face the world that day. And then um, Sunday, he was up and ready and he was ready to fight and he would do his duties. He was still going to school. And so after he passed away, I remember thinking there are some days where it really consumes you. And you're like, I don't wanna get out of bed. And I was like, you know what? Austin gave himself permission to stay in bed one day. I can do that. I'm gonna give myself permission just to not get out of bed. But this afternoon or tomorrow, I'm getting out of bed and I'm going to fight this because I think it's dangerous to let yourself go down too deep because it's harder to get out of it. But I kind of learned that from him. Just it's okay to allow yourself that time, you know, and you don't have to explain yourself. I mean, I had great friends and there were some times we were supposed to get together and I just wouldn't. And I was like, you know, that's not usually how I am. I'm usually worried about what people think of me. And And I was like, you know, I got to give myself this time and just let myself be in the depths of it. And then I'll fight this afternoon or tomorrow, but I will fight.
2: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Giving yourself that permission to have that moment and also set a goal that, and when I'm done, it's time to move forward. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. i am so excited to have you guys on. Your energy is great. Such a tragic story. I know not your personal depths of of tragedy, but certainly, you know, can relate to it in some ways through my own loss. I'm sure Jenny can as well. What does resiliency mean to you, Jeanette?
0: Um, I think resiliency, I don't think it has to necessarily be in your face. I think Something that I learned from Austin is he was a quiet strength, you know, and being able to continue to move forward in, in the face of hard times and in the face of trials. And and so really, to me, that's what resilience is, the ability to be able to move and push forward despite the obstacles that are coming your way.
2: Yeah,
1: I love that. I think that's a beautiful definition.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, both of these episodes, it's just that move forward, move forward. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about it in the first, and Jenny, you weren't here for that first episode, but we talked about the difference and the American culture is move on, move right. on, move on. And Check it's,
1: the box and get over it. Right.
2: You, you know, go through your checklist of, of the seven stages of grief, and then you get to move on. But it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Not only is it not linear, and it's not a checklist, and it doesn't happen in order, It's all over the place. It's happening all the time. (laughs) And it's not that linear, just like Kayla said. And it's really about learning to move forward. And I feel like the guests that we've had on the show and, and definitely here today, it's a big theme. And I think it's a good conversation to have because I think we need to change that mindset in our American culture that people who are grieving or who have gone through loss, it's never moving on. You don't replace a person. It's different than losing a pet. It's different than, than a lot of losses. It's very different, and you don't move on. But you can move forward, but you always carry that love and those experience with that person. And frankly, I never wanted to move on. My husband will always be the father of my children. He d- didn't leave me. He he didn't want to leave me, and um, he's my Children's grandchildren. So even if I move forward and choose into another relationship, that person has to accept that we're not going to stop talking about John. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I think it's a little bit different when you're dealing with a child because people move forward in their own lives. Life is rolling. It's a lot different. He doesn't have children that he left behind or grandchildren. But you still want to keep that memory and those lessons a valuable and very real part of your world and your lives. And I really love that you're coming on and sharing this because you get to make Austin's story a part of other people's lives so that they can have understanding that it's not about moving on, but it is about moving forward. I love this.
1: And Jeanette, I love what you said about, and and Michelle too, about making space. No matter how much time goes by, you'll still have those waves of grief or those experiences. I would love to hear you, Jeanette, share a little bit about maybe the evolution of your grief. Again, not that it starts and stops, but there is kind of a difference to initial grief, that first year or two when you're literally drowning in the very thought of moving forward without that person. And then you get a few years further out and you do start to have lessons and and maybe hindsight and reflection. You you're kind of on the same yeah. timeline as Michelle and I both are with the loss of our spouses. We're this is five years and yeah. I don't know if it's cultural or what, but we're really big on those milestones. Five years, ten years, twenty years. I, I would love if you could share a little maybe the evolution of that mother's grief. I've I've never lost a child. Um my mother in law has now lost two. I imagine you can't help but pass every birthday thinking this year he'd be this old, this year he'd be doing this, this year he might have it's done that. It's
0: it It is the constant. I, I feel like no matter how much time has passed, like you're still thinking about what age he would be. I mean, we initially, you know, we celebrate his birthday by, you know, I make his favorite foods, right? And you know, he loved my enchiladas and Mm. chocolate covered strawberries that we would make together. And so that's kind of, you know, what we do. And, um, I think the first couple of years we would sing happy birthday, but it would end up in tears. And we're like, why are we doing this? to ourselves?" (laughs) Right. So, you know, you kind of like learn things that maybe aren't as helpful, but I think initially you feel strong. Like, I think Chris kind of mentioned it right after we felt kind of really strong and like, we're getting through this, and it was like I feel like around that four month mark when we moved, everything changed, and that was the hardest thing for me because you know we're moving to new places that don't know Austin and don't know his story and it's like when people ask you, you know when you first meet people, the first thing to ask is oh how do you have kids how many and then so it's like, okay, you have the decision do do I just rip off the band-aid or how do I answer this where you know you're just meeting people for the first time and I found like a kind of a niche way to do that without having to, you know, really bring in the tragedy of Austin. So, you know, soon and introducing people, you know, I, I usually start with Heidi and then I start with, you know, our oldest is this, and this is what she's doing. And then they kind of get sidetracked because they think it's, you know, so cool what she does. So then it's kind of like, they don't even, you know, they don't even think about, you know, the rest, but I think that, Surrounding yourself with people that even if they didn't know Austin, they can still, you know, be there for you. And um, I found that the best way for me in the grieving process is to talk about him. And I think a lot of people, they know your story. They know that you lost a son. They purposely try not to mention that because they don't want to upset you. They don't want and then it feels even more isolating so i kind of like if i know people know i'll start talking about austin just like oh yeah austin when he was this age and i'll tell stories of him and it's like my cue to them like it's okay to bring him up it's okay to talk about him i love talking about him because it brings me such joy and it helps me remember him so i think just kind of finding what works for you everybody's different and it helps talking with other people and get their stories and what helps them and kind of like figuring it out along the way.
1: Do you feel like it's like the elephant in the room? I know right after me.
0: I know that you know. I know you know. So why are you talking about this? (laughs) And it is,
1: again, it's like Michelle said, there's some of those cultural norms that we just need to break through. And guess what? If you talk to me about the person I love so much who has passed away, I might get emotional. Please don't be scared away by my emotion. Don't think the fact that I might... I might choke up on my words or you might see tears in my eyes. That doesn't mean never talk about him again. My, I love it. I love that you mentioned your, relation, your daughter's relationship with your son and how mm-hmm. she knew a different Austin than you did. And I understand that little ting of jealousy. My husband had a lot of siblings. They all knew yeah. him for years and years longer before I ever met him. My husband was also in the military. He has battle buddies he went to war with. I was never there. And I found yeah. myself craving... Other people's memories. If somebody knew anything about my husband, if they had a picture, if they had a story, whether it was serious and significant or just silly and mundane, please tell me. Let me exactly. see that part of him that you knew. So when you said that, that really that really resonated my with me. My favorite Abs-
0: is when people just randomly send me a text and say, I found this picture of Austin. I mean, I love it.
2: Yeah, I just actually received a text just a few weeks ago from one of my husband's subs. And it just said, hey, Michelle, I just want you to know that I think about John from time to time, especially when I have a problem that I know that he would know the answer to. I wish I could just call him up. Our family still tells funny stories of things he would say and we miss him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's the best medicine.
1: I want someone else to miss him, too. And if we're laughing, great. And if we're crying, great. And if we leave a little somber, that's fine. There's nothing better than knowing you're not the only person remembering and missing that person. And
2: it is interesting. Just like you said about the videos of your kids. I saw some videos that my daughter took with my husband of them being silly and goofy together that I never saw while he was living. Like they were just being, you know, she just took it. It was just a moment. And seeing those now, I mean, sometimes I will burst into tears, like because it's so shocking and it's something I've never seen. Yeah. But it's not necessarily of sadness. It's just like, oh, it's just emotion. It's Why just are we emotion. so afraid of emotion? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I love that you brought that up. You guys had a ritual the first week that, and this is what what burst me into tears. <laughs> so just steady yourself, audience. You had a ritual that first week after losing Austin. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, I think Chris is the one that really kind of thought about it. So I'll let you kind of tell it.
3: (laughs) So when Austin, we knew everything was going to happen and we knew we were going to say goodbye before we left the hospital that day. So our family, just me, Jeanette, Kayla and Heidi, we just held hands with the hospital and said, listen, for the next week there's no crying by yourself if you're sad at home you go find somebody and you hold them like nobody cry on their own because this is a dangerous time for us like we're all very vulnerable right now but we're all hurting and it's a shared experience within our family so if you don't feel like no one understands look around us we all understand we all know we all miss the same person like it hurts us too that ritual was started in my life when I was 15. So I have three younger sisters. And when things got so bad in our home, we knelt in our front room and all held hands and said, we'll never leave each other. And to this day, I still talk to my sisters once a week. And we promised each other that we will always be by each other's side. And that knowledge that I learned of, Family support, how important it is, carried over into our relationship to where when we were all at the worst part of our vulnerability as a human being, we all decided that nobody cries on their own. And so we had people running downstairs, just like diving <laughs> onto the couch. like, just cry. It's okay. Just let it out. Like, I know. How healing that is to have somebody hug you back and say, like, I know. And you know that they know. They're not comparing it to their their lost animal, which is sad, right? But um, we still got to eat after. It's okay to compare things, but it's something special when somebody that like suffers with you. And that is the power of like powerful communication. Like to have that is such a unique experience. And we just capitalize that as a family Uh that,
1: I am so impressed by that, to, that you had the mindset. And like you said, it had come from you know, previous experience when you were younger. How beautiful for you to turn to each other and not let yourselves turn on each other. Because that happens. You, mm-hmm. you know, I, so I lost my husband. I've got seven kids who all have different ages, different personalities, different styles of emotion in general. And I'm thinking of the beautiful safe space you've created in your home To where even if it's anger, okay, be angry. If it's quiet and reflective and I need to ignore all of you for a day or so, okay. If it's I'm going to cry on the couch and I need you to come hug me. I love the different ways you've mentioned in just like the last 20 minutes that you can feel and express grief. Because Mm -hmm. it comes out different ways. With my oldest son, it was anger. I mean anger at the world, anger at everything, anger in his body. It wasn't that he sometimes would be angry. He just was anger. And it really took probably two or three years until that kind of started to, to wear down. And I'll admit, sometimes I did take it personally. And I'd kind of get mad, like, hey, I lost your dad, too. And I'm not stomping around the house all day. But I'd have to kind of remind myself, those are his tears. He's not going to sit and cry with me, but he mm-hmm. might stomp around mad at the world for a while. And I just, I'm I'm learning from you as parents, as a lot of my kids now are getting old enough to recognize their own grief, even though a lot of time has come away from the immediate loss they experienced, they're now old enough to process it in a different way. And and I'm sure with your daughters too, and with each of you, you process it at different stages and ages of life. And I really appreciate you sharing that with me because I, I think that can help us in our home to kind of, I'm going to be a little more mindful of that, that shared space of grief, whatever grief looks like. And maybe if you're going to be angry, maybe I'll be angry with you and not try to talk you out of being angry. Or if you're going to be quiet, okay, I'll give you that space and not force you to tell me how you feel. So I appreciate this. This has been very helpful. Everybody's trying to navigate your own grief and help the grief of the people you love. And that's a lot of grief to deal with. We need to take a break and we'll,
2: we'll be right back. we're back. Jeanette, what do you have to share with us that you haven't shared already? Do you have some words of wisdom or thoughts or memories, anything that you want to give to our audience to teach us?
0: I just, uh, the answers today might not be the answers tomorrow. (laughs) It's an evolution um, going through the process and, you know, what might've worked in the beginning with Heidi when she was, what? Yes years old five or six when Austin passed away is different how we need to help her deal with it so I mean I would say just always keeping the communication open and sometimes you know it's hard to be reminded of that sometimes Chris and I you know we kind of like start going back to our our natural ways and we have to remind each other remember we said we're going to communicate you know if you're feeling bad just let me know but The answers, I would say that's probably the biggest lesson that I learned. It's it's an evolution and it's not always going to be the same answer that it was a year or two ago. Yeah. That might be my
1: new favorite t-shirt line. We joke about having t-shirts with all these amazing one-liners from our guests. Every show has one. The answers today might not be the answers tomorrow. Again, that space you talked about creating, space for different emotions, space for different experience, space for different personalities. And space even for yourself, for yourself that my grief today might not be the same as my grief tomorrow. It's not just let alone my kid, my whoever else's, but within myself, giving myself permission to feel it differently Um, tomorrow and to let go of what didn't work. I love that you mentioned that earlier on singing happy birthday on his birthday was not the happiest (laughs) thing to do. So guess what? We're not going to sing happy birthday. You're not going to feel bad about it. You're not going to guilt yourself. You're not going to say, well, the textbook said I should dot, dot, dot but giving yourself and yourselves permission to find what works today. And that's good enough. And I guess tomorrow we'll have to figure out what works tomorrow. I love that.
3: So I'll say that from my journey is that I spent a lot of time the first years making sure everybody else was okay. Mm-hmm. And I went out of my way to make sure like the family's okay. The family's okay. Everybody's okay. Like just keep centering yourself. Like, And I'm a person of structure. So, I work out every single morning. I have to balance it with my spirituality, my physical, my diet. Every day I start my day, I have to be centered. And over the past year, I found myself slipping into depression. And I couldn't explain why. Because I, in my mind, I'm like, I am doing everything I am supposed to. I'm not lacking in any area. I eat right, I exercise. I treat my family. I love my wife. We, we pray together. We go to church together. We're doing everything together. And I would just find myself like slipping into depression. And I'm like, what is happening? I could not figure it out. And it got to the point where Jeanette's like, you really need to talk to somebody. And so like when your wife points out your flaws, you know, you can either like, (laughs) well, then I know it's like, Jeanette is very reserved. And criticism so if she says something i know it's got to be like serious so i go and get reach out to a therapist and i start to describe what's happening to me and first session she says you're going through secondary loss syndrome so i'm like what's that so i'm just like google searching in the car on my phone and she talked to me about focusing on acceptance with being sad And what I found is that my childhood had taught me some bad habits of being sad equates to suicide. And so in my mind, what I was doing was don't hang out in sadness because it equals suicide, but that's a false narrative. And it's not true. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to stay in there and feel those emotions. And, I, over the past year, I've had to learn to accept that and be okay with the emotion of being sad. But it doesn't mean you're going to go down the road of suicide at all. It's okay to have a bad day. And guess what? Tomorrow, the next day, I always felt better. Because I was doing all the little things right. I can fight through this. Um,
2: is part of that because you were having this sadness and you were like pushing it away? So instead of just feeling it, you, you started to like kind of deny it a, a bit or just not
3: give like, it emotionally? Do? I always would share Austin, I would cry, mm-hmm. I would do all those things, but it was telling his story. I never let it like self reflect where I would just let it simmer myself. I'd always tried to like preoccupy myself with some do something else, yeah. Like, so you were feeling else sad, it in I your didn't body. Focus on myself. Yeah. You weren't
2: feeling it in your body. You weren't acknowledging because our emotions live in our body. And for us to really heal, we've got to feel that, connect with it, and then let it pass. Right. And it's only until we get to that level that we're just able to acknowledge this is just an emotion. This isn't forever. This is what it's teaching me and let it go. Right.
3: Yeah. And I think that was four years later. Wow that also I'm just driving in the car and I'm like, what is happening? And like, it took a chunk out of my confidence because the the hardest thing I had was that I had Austin passing away and as a father, I couldn't stop it. And like, no matter how much I read, how much I learned about oncology, I couldn't stop it. And when he passed away, it was like this huge void in me that like, I couldn't stop my son from dying like it's such a helpless feeling i know it seems it sounds kind of like of course you can't you know but as a father like i couldn't stop like the worst thing happening and that was the hardest thing for me to learn and stay in that moment of being sad it was hard to let myself be vulnerable that way to where saying i can't do something was hard for me to accept and it's the reality of life though
2: yeah
1: you can't stop everything
2: you know, I feel like I've gotten this lesson 500 times and, you know, losing a, a, a <laughs> Still husband. Still have to
1: learn it again and again. And, and, and again <laughs> and
2: again and again. And it's like, I'm like, okay, I got it. But then I realize, oh, I I guess I didn't because I'm trying to c- control the outcome. Yeah. So a, a good example is uh, I lose my husband to cancer, right? I learn I can't control this. Not only does he get cancer, but he gets it. It's not not treatable. He's gone in 22 months, right? Like... I was not in control of that situation, and I had to surrender to it, and I did eventually. And so many areas of my life, even at his his celebration of life, there were things that I wanted there that ended up not happening, and I was just like, whatever. Like, in the big scheme of things, does it really matter? And I really started to really let go of my perfectionism, my need to do everything, my drive, 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 drive. (laughs) and then I start dating, and I'm like trying to play the numbers game. I'm like, well, if I date a younger guy, guys mostly die seven to eight years sooner than women, and I'm playing this game, right? And I just recently found out one of the guys I dated who was much younger than I am died before his 50th birthday, Mm -hmm. and it was such a shock to my system, even though it didn't work out. There was no heart heartache about that. It was a shock to my system that I'm like, I can't play the numbers game either. There's no guarantee. There's no, and I know that, right? I intellectually know it. But that knowledge that that happened with somebody that I dated, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm not in control. (laughs) You just want to so badly control the outcomes, right? We just just
1: want to fix fix what's wrong. I, I think especially as a parent, and I can't even imagine as a father, Chris, there's kind of that protective nature where you want to fix What's wrong? And we can't. And all we can do is face it because we get so frustrated. I do find it almost liberating when I do remind myself to let go because I Mm -hmm. want so badly to fix it or perfect it or control it. And um, when that reminder comes that once again, I'm not in charge, as much as that's frustrating, I find it also to be freeing because it's like that weight on my shoulders, the big backpack I'm carrying around that I should be able to solve this for all of my kids and fix this and, and change that actually, no, all I got to do is face today. So let's just figure that out one little bite at a time.
2: So I'm curious, Chris, getting to this, you know, whole process of we're not in control and cancer is unfortunately a great teacher of that concept, right? Especially when it's results in no treatment or no ability to stop it. What have you developed in your life in order to get to that next phase if you're not in control then what
3: well that's why i say that i ended up defining acceptance in three different ways is that i had to learn that in my viewpoint acceptance is sometimes that i'm not going to be able to get an answer and i have to be okay with no answer that it's not going to be solved and i can just put it in the shelf and just walk away unfinished. And that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me. I am a, if I'm doing anything, like I have to be really good. Like I can't be, I don't like being average at all. <laughs> um, so if I pick up anything, I just like obsess about it until I'm good. Then am like, okay, now I can say I'm part of this. Yeah. Um, regardless of what it is. But this was something that I'm like, as smart as I got on oncology, I still couldn't solve son's problem yeah and that's where i had to define that there's some things that you're not going to be able to master grief being one of them i'll never Mm -hmm. be able to master i'll never be able to heal the hole in my heart that austin made but i have to be able to just put those emotions aside sometimes and be like okay how do i reflect on myself and how am i processing this how do i choose to be a better person. How do I choose to be a better husband? How do I choose to be a brother father? Instead of being sad, which I find myself being, why does this happen to me, right? All I want is a father son relationship. Coming from a kid that grew up with the father not in the home. It's all I craved, right? I'm surrounded by nothing but women. Like, I just wanted, like, the boy. Like I know.
2: I keep thinking about that (laughs) while you've been telling your story. I know. I'm like, here, he he has a son. (laughs) He has a Um, son, finally, and it's so wrong. Like, ugh.
3: But instead of focusing on, like, what I don't have, I look at what I do have. And so I have extremely talented daughters that love their dad. I have a wife that loves me, like, through thick and thin who's held my hand through everything. And I should be grateful for those things instead of focusing on the things I don't have. And what I found is that's where I find more joy. I'm grateful for, I have best friends. I have, you know, my father's reentered my life. I've had all these different things that have happened. I have loving sisters that I have a support just because I can't define exactly what they do or who they are. doesn't matter. Is be grateful that I have people in my life.
2: Absolutely.
3: Um, that's been really the long, the long end of a journey
2: that's to beautiful. defining
3: acceptance.
2: I, I love that. For me, I have in this whole I'm not in control thing, I have come up with my own saying and it's this is for me. So no matter what happens, good or bad, I don't need to actually judge it as good or bad. It's just, this is for me. So what is the lesson? And so it's getting into trusting the process of life. And that's that's where I've gotten with this process. But it sounds like that's part of where you're at too in, in that whole acceptance, right? Where it's just, this is for me. It's not happening to me, but this is for me. And there's a very different mindset about, is is this happening to me? Kind of victim standpoint. This is happening for me, kind of the heroine, right? How can I grow and learn from this and trust this process? Whatever is here in this earth life for me, it's for me.
1: And I love the role that gratitude plays in expressing that, that to focus on what you do have, what you are grateful for, and how that can really just shift your mind away from what you're missing or lacking, even though you still miss it and lack it. That's beautiful. But
3: more important that I learned is that I tell those people that. Yeah. Like, I tell Jeanette how much I'm grateful for her, that I tell my kids how much I'm grateful for them, and that I do things that show it. Yeah. Um, because she needs Jeanette needs to know how I'm, with the battle I'm fighting in my own head. And she has to tell me what she's battling in her own head. Because not only is it communication that we both kind of share, but I learn things from her. I learn better healthy habits that she does. Right. Cause I can't explain my emotions without getting like extremely like emotional about it, either good or bad, anger. Like it's just, it's passionate about it. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. She's like, Are
3: you upset? And I was like, No, I just like, you know, and I just, you know, it's hard to explain how, you, you know, how it feels. Like she tries hard to watch sports with me. Right. And I like, I would get mad because she's like asked questions and I'm just like, It's just not the same. Right. She's like, What do you mean? And so I had to sit down and explain her. It's because when I watched with Austin, I didn't have to explain anything. Yeah, we would talk about players' contracts and all the little other things, their careers. Right, it's a different conversation. And like, bless my wife for like sitting and watching boring sports <laughs> with me. But um, it's a different dialogue. Instead of saying I I miss the dialogue with Austin, which I always will, but I have it. You know what I mean? I'm grateful that I had that experience. Yeah, to have a son that like loved their dad and like looked up to their dad is a a part of the relationship that I I really needed as a person to heal a lot of part of my um, childhood. And I was grateful that I was given that. And I have a wife and have daughters that are willing to suffer through watching sports with me. I'm grateful, but also I've lots of friends I can talk to too. So (laughs) it's just learning.
2: Well, I'm so glad that you came on today to share your story, to share your lesson of self-awareness, self-development, growth, I mean that's why we're all here and it's unfortunate that sometimes it's in these tragic stories that they provide opportunities f- to learn how to be a better individual not only for ourselves but for the those around us. I love you too. I your story is heart touching. Before we close really quick, I know that you're involved in a foundation. You talk and help raise funds for children's pediatric cancer. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yes, so real quick, so it's Alex of the mid down Foundation. When Austin was passed away, like most people do, they wanna create a foundation in their child's memory or their spouse's memory. Unfortunately, with pediatric cancer, there's a lot of foundations created. Pediatric, pediatric cancer r- remains one of the least funded uh, organizations to find a cure. And with DIPG, children have a 0% chance. And so I was trying to think of a way to bring awareness and create a foundation. That's why I found Alex Lemonade Stand Foundation. Alex was a little girl that died from cancer. I think it's been 20 years now. So Liz Scott family created the foundation. She started a little uh, lemonade stand, created revenue, all donated directly towards pediatric cancer and helping to find a cure. I jumped on board with that and became one of their ambassadors. And so I speak at uh, events, I reach out to grieving families when they lose a child from cancer or in their process of it. Um, Not to necessarily share that I know what they're going through because cancer is different for everybody, every family dynamic, but I know what grief feels like, you know, and I can at least tell them, hey, and and try to offer them resources to Alex and Nathan found to help families with deferring the cost of, you know, families that live rurally come into a city, put up in a hotel, sucks like with like that. They help with a lot of different organizations. So I think in total, we've been able to raise the five years I've been involved just for Austin. It's been like around 300,000 for DIPG. Different organizations have donated different events all towards DIPG to help find a cure. So
2: that's amazing. Thank you for doing that. It's so important, especially I love that it helps families that are struggling as they're going through the process as well. such a gift.
1: This has been a beautiful conversation, not just about self-reflection and kind of an individual journey, but I've loved listening to you as a couple. Mm -hmm. I've loved hearing kind of that interplay, that relationship, that way you've turned toward each other and helped create space for yourselves and for each other and for your girls. And that's going to resonate in my mind a lot for me to think about in my own family dynamics. So, Thank you for sharing the individuality of your grief journey but also sharing how you've shared it and in doing so helped each other and helped yourselves create that space that's that's going to stick with me. To all of our listeners we hope you've been uh, just as enlightened as we have been and just as inspired and like Chris said at the very beginning it's great to be inspired but it doesn't really matter unless you do something with that inspired energy so Think about today, what, what can you do, who can you help, who can you impact, what good can come from lessons you've learned either through this story or your own story, and then let's all get some action going here. Also, if you're listening, we're grateful for you being a follower here. We hope that you'll find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like, a rating, and a review. And mostly, we hope you'll be willing to share your story with us and with our listeners. You can reach out to us through email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. Or better yet, go find us on Instagram or Facebook. You can send us a quick message, or there's even a little book now button where you can schedule a phone call with Michelle, kind of a little pre-interview conversation. Let's get your story out here. Let's share the tools of resiliency that you have learned, because I promise you, all of us listening, no matter how many tools we think we have, we can all use some more.
2: And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their life. Have a great day.